Imagine loving your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, and I'm so glad to be here with you again for this week's episode, which is another interview in my series called Weekly Wow with Women in the Middle. Weekly Wow introduces you to amazing women who have something relevant to share with women in the middle. Today's episode introduces you to Karen C.L. Anderson, who is an expert at creating inspiration and advice for difficult mother-daughter relationships. Karen is a master certified life coach and the author of The Peaceful Daughter's Guide to Separating from a Difficult Mother, which, by the way, was an international bestseller and has sold over 130,000 copies. She also has a new book called Difficult Mothers, Adult Daughters, A Guide for Separation, Liberation, and Inspiration. Sorting out the mother-daughter relationship is relevant for so many women in the middle, and I am so excited for Karen to share her story and her knowledge with you today. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Karen. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here, Susie. So as a woman in the middle yourself, I know that you know how important it is to get a handle on your relationship with your mom, even at our age as grown-ups, maybe especially at our age, actually. I think it's one of the most healthy things you can do. Can you talk a bit about how you came to this work and why it's so important to you? Well, interestingly, um, it wasn't until I was in adulthood that I started to see that my relationship with my mom was um, not optimal. And, you know, I was just kind of going through my 20s and 30s and then got into my 40s and things just um, got more and more difficult. And what's interesting is that, so I knew that there was uh, stuff that needed to be addressed, but I, you know, and I had done therapy and that kind of thing, but it was in life coach school when it all just sort of came to a head. Ooh, what happened? Well, so, so it was before, it was before life coach school that it, that it, that I sort of ended my relationship with her at the time. It was at the very end of 2010. And again, just understand that there's lots and lots of history here. And I guess the quick way to say it is that I was unconsciously always seeking her approval. And I think consciously or unconsciously, she knew it and would use that against me. And um I also was very much in believing that, you know, she, um, that she had control over me. And so um, at the very, as I said, at the very end of 2010, there had been a lot of stuff that had happened and she sent me an email and in the email, she said a bunch of things that didn't really make any sense to me. And then at the end, she said, I'm very disappointed in the person that you've become. And it was sort of like a knife in my heart, right? And 
at that point, I wrote back to her and I said, uh, you know, based on this, I don't want you to email me or call me again. So fast forward then to, you know, the end of 2012, early 2013, and I'm now in life coach school. (laughs) There's some juicy material there. Right? And (laughs) so, you know, I mean, the, the mother stuff didn't really... I didn't really address it then. It was actually in, ma- in my master coach certification that it really came up. And um, I was all, at the time, I was my grandmother's legal guardian. So this would be my mother's mother. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I was required to be in touch with my mom and my aunt and my uncle as, you know, legally as, as my grandmother's guardian. And my mother had sent me an email, (laughs) my mother and her famous emails, right? She'd sent me an email and she, I, she asked me some question and about my grandmother's finances or something like that. And I didn't have an answer right away. And she sent me an email back and, um, I don't even remember what she said, but I was livid. I was livid. And I happened to be, you know, I happened to have a a call, you know, a a master coach call with the group and Brooke and I was just like, you know, so it was like the perfect opportunity. You had help exactly when you needed help. Exactly. And so let me just get this straight. So the last time she sent you an email, it was a knife in the heart and then a period of time went by and then there was... There was some interaction uh, in between there, not much, but there was. And, and it was interesting because, you know, the coaching tools that I've learned helped me, you know, and, and helped me interact with my mother in a way that um, I liked myself better. Mm. But it was, as I said, I, she, still had, she still had this ability to like push that button and poof, off I would go, right? So, um, so it was, uh, it was in that time frame. it was 2014 that I, um, I got a handle on it and decided that I couldn't keep it to myself. I couldn't keep, and as a writer, because I am a writer first and foremost, that is my passion. Um, I wanted to be able to tell this story and so, and, and how I, um, worked through it. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of the books that are out there for um, daughters who have difficult mothers are often written by therapists and they're often very clinical and I'm not clinical at all. And so it was, um, so, so what, so what ended up happening is that for my project that I did, I created a six week program. And that six-week program then became the bones or sort of like the structure of the book that I wrote in 2015. Wow. So but how old were you when this was all going on? Well, I'm 55 now. So I was 48 in 2010, I guess. Right, right. So what's really striking to me is I can't even imagine the difference between your mindset now and when you were in the middle of the muck of the heaviness and just how complicated that relationship was Mm. must not even be recognizable to you now that you're on the other side of kind of unpeeling the layers of that onion. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and the people who know me best are like, it's night and day. That's beautiful thing. I love it. So when you were <laughs> little, what was your childhood like? Like when you were just a, you know, a kid, did you see, I guess with hindsight now, maybe you can look at it a little bit differently, but did you have any indication that this relationship was going to be as difficult as it was? Well, no. I mean, I think when we're growing up, we're in it, we're immersed in it, and we don't see anything different. You know, like we just think this is normal. And um, my parents got divorced when I was three. And my mother remarried when I was five. My father also remarried when I was five. And the man that my mother married, um, put it bluntly, was a violent alcoholic. And the two of them were like oil and water. Um, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating to me when I look back on it and I have gotten a great, you know, sort of deal. I've gotten a great deal more understanding of my mom and some of the struggles that she faced and the disappointments that she had in her life and whatnot, which has helped. So at the time, I mean, it's not that my childhood was horrible. Um, you know, we, um, upper middle class, you know, I had the things that I wanted. I got to go out and play. I had friends. I was, I tended to be a fairly shy child. And there was this, there was this chaos in my family and my mother and my stepfather, when I was nine, they adopted a little boy who was nine months younger and he had had a lot of problems. Um, you know, think this was back in the early, early seventies before they knew about things like attachment disorder and fetal alcohol syndrome and things like that. So this little boy, you know, comes into this sort of already chaotic scenario, family scenario. And that, you know, was kind of complicated as well. So, you know, I kind of just went and did my own thing. Um, you know, I love to read. I was very quiet. Um, you know, going through high school, I wasn't the popular kid. <laughs> um, you know, and then I went off to college. Um, my mother divorced my stepfather some at some point when I was in college. And um, it's when I came home from college and lived with my mom. And so she, here she is single in her, you know, mid 40s, and I'm in my early 20s. And our relationship got very, very close, but in a very unhealthy way. Um, mm, what she, do you mean? Well, she and I would go out to nightclubs and we would drink and dance and flirt with men. And she loved doing that. I loved doing that. As somebody who didn't have a lot of friends, it was like, okay, you know. And um, But what I see now is that we were emotionally enmeshed. Mm. And, you know, I, I believe she had the power to control how I felt. And I think she also felt the same way about me. Like I could control, I controlled how she felt. And um, when I inevitably wanted to strike out on my own and do my own thing and, you know, have my own friends and go places by myself, she didn't really like that. And she always knew that. I'm, I don't know, again, if she knew this consciously or not, but she, the pattern would be that, you know, she would, if she couldn't get what she wanted from me, you know, there was sort of a manipulative um, pattern, which would be, you know, she would praise me and, you know, be all nice. And if that didn't work, then she, 
be angry. And if that didn't work, then she'd be sad. And, you know, eventually she'd get her way. Mm. And, you know, the older I became, and I eventually, you know, met my husband, got married, you know, kind of relatively later in life, I was almost 35 when I got married. And it was, it was, was, in a way, it was the lead up to that email in 2010, was sort of me separating from her, separating from her. And, Um, doing more things that I wanted to do and becoming happier and healthier than I'd ever been. It was, it was as if the healthier I got and the happier I got, the more upset she seemed to become and leading up to then telling me that I, you know, she was disappointed in the person that I'd become. And the reason it felt like such a knife in the heart, I mean, besides sort of the obvious, yeah. was that, but like, wait a minute, I, I love the person that I've become and I love the person that I'm becoming. Right. That's just, it's so complicated. I remember hearing, I don't remember when, maybe because I was in psychology and reading a lot of self-help books when I was growing up, but I remember thinking, yeah, everybody pretty much ends up in therapy in their twenties because <laughs> they need to sort out their relationship with their moms, except guys, they usually ended up in therapy in their 30s after they had a girlfriend who would (laughs) set them straight. (laughs) So in a way, nothing was really abnormal in terms of you slowly but surely developing independence. That was normal. But like, when did you decide or it became clear that there was more going on here, that it wasn't just the normal kids are growing up, let's all adjust to independence of the, the grown-up kid. When did you see that it was really a little bit more than that? I, I think it was after I, I got married. Mm. Um, you know, again, as I said, I was, I was nearly 35 when I got married. And, you know, in the years, in the few years after that, um, I started to, you know, I mean, it's interesting, like I said before, when you're a child and you're growing up in, in, a, in an environment, it's normal. It's like, this is it. Like you're, it's like a fish in water. You don't know what water is. That's right. Right. So um, it, then I, you know, in my marriage, which is an amazing marriage, sometimes I think, how did this even happen? But, you know, in being with a very healthy person, what would happen is we'd go to visit. Mm. And, and it would be like, it would be sort of a, like a, like all of a sudden I could see the, the stress and the dysfunction and the, you know, the ugliness that was happening because I was no longer in it and I was no longer used to it. Yeah. You had like a normal, well, I hate to use the word normal, but you had something that was healthy and very functional yeah. and that distance, it sounded like really helped you see, whoa, there's something a little crazy going on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like it was a very fortunate timing, a sequence of events that happened that your mom kind of really struck out with this email and you were in a, a very supportive environment where you could really look at it. Now, yeah. I wonder if you could think back a little bit when you were looking at it, did, you, did it occur to you that you had a lot of work to do on yourself? Or at that point, was it really just, like most of us think that other people are crazy and we just have to get them to stop acting like that. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, it's interesting because, and this is actually part of why I wrote the book the way I did um, is that I, I was in therapy 
at that time when she sent me that email, it was, I had, I had actually started therapy probably, I don't know, a few months prior to that or a couple of months, not long. And coincidentally or not, or whatever, however you want to say it, my father died of a massive heart attack at the, like probably three or four days after my mom had sent me this email. And again, they weren't married. They hadn't been married for, you know, many, many, many years. And that morning I called my dad to tell him about what had happened with my mom. And, you know, that I was proud of myself because in the past, what I would have done would have like, I would have engaged with her and I would have argued with her and I would have defended myself. And in this, I just cut it cleanly and without drama. And then that night, that night, the day that I had that conversation with my dad, that night, he had a massive heart attack and died. Oh, wow. So it was like therapy was really the right place for me at the time. Sounds like it. Yeah. You know, I had a lot to process. And um, what's interesting is that, and, and I, I know a lot of women often, I often hear, yeah, my mom's a narcissist. Hmm or she has narcissistic personality disorder or, you know, something like that. I think there tends to be a lot of addiction when, when women are struggling in their relationships with their moms. But anyway, um, so the therapist did focus a lot on my mom and, you know, suggested that perhaps she had narcissism, you know, tendencies or whatever. And I remember thinking at the time, sort of like, oh, well, you know, she's a narcissist, so I'm screwed. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, you know, the therapy was helpful. But as I say in my book, it just sort of, it almost was giving me an excuse to say, stay a lesser version of myself. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And I, I had done a lot of research and looked online and there were, you know, support groups for women who had narcissistic mothers and that kind of thing. And while it was kind of thrilling and exciting to be able to say, yes, you know, and I don't even know if my mother's a narcissist. Like I don't, it, it almost doesn't matter to me now, but it was like, it was kind of thrilling and exciting to be able to point at that and be with other women who were like pointing at that and just sort of have the validation that, no, I'm not crazy. It's not my fault. It's, you know, but as I said, um, I found that, those kinds of groups and and the, the, the and some of the books that I read, they didn't feel very hopeful. And I don't know if that was just because of where I was in my head, or if it actually, you know, is a function of the, you know, what the what those books say. But yeah, it was. I really didn't. I didn't want to be living like that. You know, I didn't want to be poor me which, you know, was one of my, um, you know, one of my long-standing unconscious thoughts throughout my life has been I'm pathetic. Wow, that is so interesting. Your whole take on therapy and how it, it gave you so much help, but that you still had some thinking to do about what you actually could do and where your power was. I agree with labels. Labels serve some purposes, but really what you're left with is a relationship. Yeah, It really doesn't matter about a label. You're left with a relationship and some decisions to make about how you want to function in that relationship based on what you're thinking, because 
so like we have so much more power than we think, mm-hmm. even when we're in situations where we can't really understand or explain other people's behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I feel really strongly about is regret proofing your relationship. So I love to use this term regret proofing because it kind of, um, it really talks about where your power base is. So there are things that many of us have regrets about, but then with a lot of conscious effort, you can decide in advance if you want to regret proof certain aspects of your life. So is there something that you can do to kind of bolster up that area so that you're less likely to have regrets really? So I talk about regret proofing your career, regret proofing your relationship with yourself and regret proofing your relationships. And I guess the thing that's relationships are such a common area in our lives that it's so common to have regrets about. And so many people, I've seen studies where they talk to people who you know, are very, very old or they're dying and they talk to them about what they have regrets about. And it's always pretty common. Like they have regrets about what they were afraid to do and certain relationships. And there's just, when it comes to your relationship with your mom, Mm -hmm. there's so much rich material there. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why a woman's difficult relationship with her mother might actually be something she regrets. Well, there's our good old friend guilt, right? <laughs> right? And and you know, mother I think mother-daughter relationships are rife with guilt on both sides. Um, you know, that's all the things we shouldn't have done or shouldn't have said or you know, the things that we did say that we wish we hadn't. You know, I mean, when I when I when I emailed my mother back and said don't ever call me or talk to me again, what's interesting is that rather than freeing me at the time it made me sort of obsess more and, uh, you know, worry about, well, what if she dies? And, you know, and then what, and then I'm going to regret it, right? That I, I couldn't fix this. Oh my God. I, I know this is just a podcast and people can't see my face, but like my eyebrows are off my head. I can't even imagine making the decision you made to basically cut her off at that point. Well, I don't regret, I don't regret it. I needed that time and that space. Could I have handled it differently? Maybe. But at the time, I handled it actually in the healthiest way I knew how. What I've learned since then is that, and and I would never ever tell a woman that she should or shouldn't stay in contact with her mother. Like that is her own decision. What What I help women do is make the decision from a clean place. Mm. And like what I recognized is part of it for me was that I didn't like who I was in our relationship. And it took me, as I said, I needed that time and space in order to like sort of take a step back and be like, okay, well, who do I want to be? And who am I without my mother's influence and without her filter over everything? Right. So, um, because we didn't, we never had the opportunity to, to sort of separate in the healthy, normal way that mothers and daughters, I think, you know, if there is a norm that they do it. And so, you know, as I said, like it, it's for some women choosing not to have contact with their mothers for the rest of their lives, knowing that their mothers may die without that. It's not easy, but you can live and you can live happily. And, and I don't want to say 100% without regret, but 
you know, you can learn to do regret. You can learn to have a healthy relationship with that negative emotion and process it. Um, you know, how? It's like, how do you, how do you do that? Well, I know how I do it. <laughs> and, and it's funny because there's actually a, a, you know, more than one chapter in the book that deals with emotion and neg- you know, what we consider negative emotion. And, um, for me, it's a matter of practicing. It's a matter of having compassion for myself in the moments that I am feeling emotions like regret or shame or um, I guess pretty much regret and shame are like the ones that I really have to mother myself through. And to, to just be okay, to like know that it's human to feel regret. You know, well, I, I love that, Karen. That's so good. It It is like negative emotion really is part of our experience. And of course, it's squirm worthy to have negative emotion. And it yeah. is a must. I like to think of skills like this, skills to handle hard things like difficult emotions. It's like a muscle. And you do have to work the muscle to, to feel okay with it. And I would imagine do a lot of thought work mm-hmm. to realize that you can be happy and fulfilled even having made a difficult decision like that. Totally. And I've noticed too that the more work I do on myself and some of the shifts that I've made internally has made it easier for me to now show up in my relationship with my mom in a way that I like and I can like myself. It's not perfect. It's not always easy Um, and so, you know, again, like, I'm not saying that, oh, if you do this work, if you have a difficult relationship with your mom and you haven't been, you haven't talked to her for the past five years and you do this work, everything's going to change and it's going to be fine. And now you'll be able to show up in the relationship and not have regret. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. right? Right. Like, I just know that I have seen the shifts within myself and that those shifts that it's like almost energetic. And so, um, and and another huge component of this has been boundaries. Mm, Tell me a little bit more about that. That's so good. Yeah. So um, learning, um, I've taken a a deep dive in the past couple of years with a woman named Randy Buckley, who teaches something called healthy boundaries for kind people. And I am certified in her process now. And um, it really is a, it's, an under, it's, it's understanding what you value and who you are, what your preferences are, your desires, your needs, your wants, and being so clear about that, that, um, that it's, it's a gift to the other person. Something that Randy says is that, your, that um, boundaries are your values in action. So when we... Uh, are super clear about what we value, we can ask ourselves, let's just say respect, okay? If you value respect in your world, in your relationships, then how can I bring respect into this? And I don't necessarily mean in the, like, you need to respect your mother kind of way. Right, right. But, you know, deeper than that, what does respect look like? What does respect do? And knowing that, you must be, you have to be including yourself in that, right? So this isn't just for her, it's respect for yourself. And oh sometimes, my God, that's so good. Sometimes respect for yourself means that if she's 
screaming at you on the phone, you know, you say, I'm going to hang up now. Right? Right. And so when I was talking about regret proofing, kind of what really hit me with this perspective is that you want to regret, you don't want to have regrets about how you show up in a relationship and how you show up authentically in your true self. You don't want to have regrets about that, even though you may have regrets that you were never as close to your mom as you thought you could be, but you don't have regrets about the way you manage the relationship. Great point. Great point. You know, because I think that, um, you know, especially after our mothers die, no matter what the relationship is, there's going to be grief, right? And so, and I think that the, that regrets can play into the grief, right? All the things that we wish we could have said or done, but you're right. I mean, I, I, um, if my mom were to die tomorrow, I would have tremendous grief and I would be proud of myself. I wouldn't have the regret that I didn't show up in the relationship in a way that, you know, is inauthentic. That's really all there is, right? We can't control other people and all relationships are not going to be sunshine and daisies. (laughs) Just not that way. Um, So midlife, I'm all about loving your life after 50 and, (laughs) Midlife, I think, is such a great time to do a lot of reflection about these relationships. Many of us are mothers. Many of us are stepmothers. Many of us are amazing aunties. (laughs) And we have younger people in our lives. And then also, many of us are starting to make the adjustment to having mothers who are older and may need us in different ways. So we're really in the middle of that phase of life. And what can you say about the work you've done and about the importance of having this kind of reflection at our age? Well, I don't have children. Uh, I am a stepmom. My stepkids are grown. I don't feel in the middle in that regard. Mm, Okay. Um, And I also, and as of right now, my mom is healthy and independent. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm lucky, I guess, right now. But I know many women who aren't, you know, many women who are struggling in that. And um, I think the, you know, that the opportunity to take a step back and um, do that inner reflection, ask yourself, um, you know, how do I want to approach the, you know, the inevitable here, whether your mother is, um, you know, needs the help now or not. Um, you know, I guess, you know, it's always like, how do I want to show up, right? We don't ask ourselves that question. We just assume that we are the way we are. Yeah. And we're, and we're in often just a chaotic autopilot. Yeah. "Eh, I'm busy. Things are busy and hectic and, and we just don't even do the reflection and we just show up in a very habitual kind of way, which can be kind of scary if some of these relationships haven't been healthy. That's for sure. And that's why, you know, asking yourself those, those kinds of questions or, um, you know, having someone ask you those questions, right? Just to, just to ask, you know, just to take a step back and go, huh, like, how, wh- what is it that I want? 
you know, and who, who do I want to be in this relationship? And what if, um, you know, one of the things I hear often is women feel obligated to, to care for their mothers and they don't want to. Hmm. And, you know, obviously, yes, sometimes there's, there's financial uh, restraints or whatever. It's not like you can just go hire someone to take care of her. And I find that if you can approach it from the perspective of that you're making the choice to do it, even though it might be difficult, um, that that's easier and healthier than believing that you have to do it. That's one of those things, this belief that you have to do it is so common that we just think that we don't have choice. Yeah. And that is one of those areas where there is some choice. You just may be uncomfortable exploring the choice. Yeah. But there really is some wiggle room when it comes to all of that. Yep. And what would you, like you've got two amazing books now. What would you um, say is the best advice for women our age going forward uh, negotiating and navigating their relationships with their moms. Love the process. Know that it will be for the rest of your life that you can choose to do this and that it doesn't have to be scary, hard, um, sad all the time, that it can be fun, that it can be um, that you, you can unearth parts of yourself that you didn't know existed that there can be great joy um, in it. And, and I, I actually think that what helps us feel that great joy is letting, letting ourselves feel the deep sadness, sadnesses that we might feel or regrets that we might feel um, for the past. It's like, you know, lo loving all of it and realizing that you're a, a human being who gets to have, you know, who gets an opportunity to do the work that, um, you know, that you and I and lots of people that we know do. It's really turning things upside down because we don't think about it that way. <laughs> Most of us don't think about it that way. If there's something challenging going on and, you know, it just does seem really scary and there's this heaviness to it. So I love that you're just putting it out there that one option we have is that you can love the process. You can be curious about the process. You can be fascinated. And something you said earlier on is that now you have a better handle on kind of what made your mom who she was and some of the background and being fascinated with a time and place that we really have no familiarity with uh, to really understand what went into making our moms who they are. Mm -hmm. Being fascinated with that and getting out a little bit of the heaviness of trying to sort some um, unknown territory out is. I think it's amazing advice and can really make things more fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's one word that I've added to my vocabulary. Well, I haven't added it. It's, I just, I tend to use it a lot more um, in regards to aging, regarding all the things that the work, you know, and that's that I get to do it. Right. I get, to, and then like this year, I'm going to get to be 55 and I get to go through menopause and I get to work on my relationship with my mom. And isn't that, amazing. I'm with you. I think it's amazing. I've outlived both of my birth parents, mm. like by a long shot. And so I really feel like I got that memo. Life's not fair. I get it. And, <laughs> and one of the reasons I love doing this work so much is because um, life really is short. 
and working on your mindset so that you can just appreciate and enjoy more of it because it is lucky to be here. There's a lot of weird stuff that goes down <laughs> in life. and There's a lot of things that aren't fair and just a lot of things that can't be explained. So yeah. I love that. And I love that you're such a writer. It was hard for you to say you've added it to your vocabulary. <laughs> I think you have. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it was already there. The word get is, you know, there. So <laughs> I know yeah. you're so about vocabulary. It's so cute. So if you could just uh, let us know where we can get those books, because of course I'm going to put everything in the show notes, but tell us a little bit more so that uh, the listeners can get in touch with you. So just so you know, the first book, which was called The Peaceful Daughter's Guide to Separating from a Difficult Mother is no longer available. Oh, it isn't? No. Oh. That book, the quick story is that that book went gangbusters, sold like 130,000 copies. Wow. Um, I decided in, in the time frame between that coming out and this, you know, the new one, I had done a lot of writing. I had done a lot of coaching. I learned a lot and I wanted to revise and expand the book. Mm, okay. So I got the attention of a literary agent. I got a publishing deal. And the new book is called Difficult Mothers, Adult Daughters, A Guide for Separation, Liberation, and Inspiration. And it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and, you know, all the places. And uh, it is everything that the first book was and more. So it's not like you're missing out that you can't get the Peaceful Daughters Guide. (laughs) That's awesome. Is there anything else? What is this Patreon community that you're a part of? I don't really know what that is. So Patreon is a really interesting uh, platform, and it is for writers, artists, musicians, do-it-yourselfers, all kinds of people who want a place where people who love their work can support them. Actually, my dream from a long time ago has been to be an advice columnist. And so I decided uh, with the release of Difficult Daughters, uh, uh, Difficult Mothers, Freudian (laughs) Daughters are angels. (laughs) That I would start this Patreon as a place where I could answer people's questions because I get a lot of them. Wow. And so uh, some people also call Patreon, it's like the tip jar of the internet. So the way it works is for as little as $2 a month, you can support me there. Um, there are other levels if you want like additional things, but it's where I debut all my writing. That's so cool. So yeah, and I'm, I'm working on my fourth book now, actually, which is an exploration of my maternal lineage and um, a lot of the stories that have come as a result of, as I said, like being my grandmother's legal guardian and like what happened when my husband's ex-wife died um, and sort of looking at a lot of women in my life and my relationships with them and, and things that have happened. And it's uh, not self-help at all. It's much more of a, I don't want to call it a memoir, but more like that personal essays and stories, because ultimately I see what I do is um, self-acceptance through storytelling. I love it. Thank you so much, Karen, for being a guest on Women in the Middle. I think you've really given us a lot to think about. I mean, after all, the the listeners of Women in the Middle were all daughters and have that in common. And I think being in midlife is the perfect time to think more about 
what we want going forward with these mm-hmm. relationships. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. It was an honor. I'm really happy to be here. That's it for this episode. I'm sure you will agree. Regret proofing is usually in order when it comes to the relationship you have with your mom. If you like what you've heard, just head over to the Women in the Middle podcast on iTunes and leave me a review. Check out the show notes with more information and links at www.susierosenstein.com. While you're on my website, if you haven't done so yet, make sure you grab your copy of my free ebook, 10 Simple Ways to Bust Out of Your Midlife Funk. Just go to www.susierosenstein.com forward slash midlife funk. This will totally help you get going too. Let's do this, ladies, one grown-up mother-daughter relationship at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.